Yeah, let me first of all, just let's, let's just applaud Luffy and Jezreel, because that was awesome, right? Thank you. Uh, there's, there's a few new faces, so if you're new today, thanks for coming and joining us. You know, um, whether you're new or uh, seasoned here, you just need to know this morning that you are welcome. Like, we want you here. Uh, you have an important role to play Uh, You're important to us, and so thank you for being here. You are welcome. Kerry wants me to say something. Oh, yeah, offering. Um, There are three ways to give. There's an app, there's a website, and there's an envelope, and there's a basket, a a gray box at the back. My boss keeping me right. So you can uh, pick any of those. You can drop your Connect cards or your offer in that basket at the back. Um, So that's their envelope. After the service, so the order today, we're doing the service, and then we're going to have a potluck. And so you're all welcome, whether you brought food or not, there's usually way too much food. So come eat food with us if you're able. And then once the potluck is finished, it's town hall. So if you want to stay for the town hall, you don't have to be part of the church to stay for that. If you're just curious where we're at and what's going on, but you're all invited to the potluck. And then if you want to stay for the town hall, feel free to do that too. Um... Last thing before I start on today's message, I just want to stick up a picture on the screen. I got this picture this morning from Daniel's dad. So if you're not familiar, second from the left in the blue shirt with the hat and the glasses is Daniel from our church. Daniel is out in Sierra Leone right now. Um, His family have attended Canby Alliance Church for a long time. They have supported a ministry in Sierra Leone for a long time. Um, and one of the, the goals that Canby Alliance has in partnership with other churches in the city and other Alliance churches in our denomination is to build a hospital in this area where there is no hospital in order for Joseph and his wife to, build to, to, to provide medical care and minister to the community. And what Daniel didn't share last week, and I'm just going to do it for him, is part of this trip is Daniel is actually trying to discern if he wants to go and spend one or two years out there. They're looking for someone that can be the liaison between uh, the architects here in the U.S. and the financial backers here in the U.S. and then all of the work crews out there in Sierra Leone. So they need someone that can, that can talk both languages, that can communicate in both uh, both places. And so Daniel is, is feeling this tug in his heart that maybe God wants me to go out and spend the time doing that. So this is a big deal for Daniel. Uh, he's never been out of North America. Um, and here he is in Africa trying to figure out if he wants to move there and live there and minister uh, with those people. So I just want to pray for him before we start because this is a big deal. He'll be back in a few days and, and we'll get him up here to share about his experience and get some of his excitement flowing into our veins. So let me pray for Daniel and for the team. God, thank you for Tim, for Daniel, for the others, for Joseph, for the work that's happening in Sierra Leone. Thank you for a young man in the middle of our congregation who is pursuing you wholeheartedly, who is choosing to shed the things of the world. He loves, loves, loved his job. Uh, he's been giving himself wholeheartedly to it. But in the last year, you have grabbed his heart in a new way. And the things that once satisfied no longer do. Uh, and so God, he is hungering to serve you more. He's hungering to use the gifts that you've given him to help the lowest and the least and the lost. So as they are on this trip, we pray that you would bless the work that is happening. You would bless the relationships that are there. And we ask for Daniel for clarity. 
uh, for an excitement in his heart, for a peace about what you're asking him to do, and that he would come back confident of what you're asking him to do in this next season. So we ask you to speak, to guide, to bless, and to provide, and to do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been on this slightly crazy formational journey through the book of Zechariah. That's a good description, right? Crazy and formational. Um, the writing of the prophet Zechariah is so fun. It has so much to, to say about us as a church. It has so much promise for us in the season that we're in. It has so much that we're about to see uh, over the next few weeks about Jesus and who he is uh, and what he does. Um, walking through this book, we've had this series of, of wacky visions uh, and intense exhortations to Israel, inviting them into repentance and, and giving them assurance that God was going to complete the work that he was calling them to do, that we're going to finish the temple, that we're going to celebrate his presence among them. Um, and, and as we read this book, I want to keep reminding us what happens as we read Zechariah and other Old Testament books is we are seeing God's message to his chosen people, the people of Israel. The people of Israel and the work that God was doing was all centered on the coming of the Messiah as Jesus himself came, God in flesh, to rescue his people from darkness and transform the world that we live in. So all of the promises that God makes to Israel are fulfilled in in Jesus. And then through Jesus, many of those promises are now available to us as the church. And so we're reading this book saying, okay, this is an encouragement, an exhortation to the people of Israel a long time ago when they were struggling in the process of rebuilding this temple. What relevance does it have to us? But as we've been seeing going through this book, so much of this content is applicable to where we are here in America, in Hillsborough, as we're trying to rebuild the work that God is calling us to do. So today we're in Zechariah 8 and we're going to look at some of these blessings that were promised to Israel and through Christ come to us. So I want want to read it and then we'll go back through and look at it in a lot more detail. So this is Zechariah 8. Um, This is a couple of years after all of the visions that happened in the first six chapters. uh, Zechariah receives more revelation from the Lord. So this is starting chapter 8 verse 1. Zechariah writes, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of right old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. 
Before that time, there were no wages for people or hire for animals. No one could go about their business safely because of their enemies, since I had turned everyone against their neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crops and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as inheritance to the remnant of this people. Just as you, Judah, and Israel have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Just as I had determined to bring disaster on you and showed no pity when your ancestors angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you're to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this declares the Lord. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and ten months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once and treat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Man, what a powerful passage full of blessing and hope and promise to Israel. It goes beyond the completion of the temple to a future restoration that would come, that would bring flourishing, the fulfillment of the promise that you will be my people and I will be your God and through you all nations in the world will be blessed. So what I want to do with our time, we're going to look at these blessings and I want to look at, at what is going on in our church and I want to ask, what does this mean for us? I want you to evaluate, where do you see these things present and what is happening here? And we want to ask God to continue to build our hope for the future as he brings his kingdom to bear on this earth through his church, through the work that he's going to do in the future, through the restoration of Israel to the heart of God So let's think about those things and let's look at what this passage is saying. So the first overarching thing that that I want us to, to think about in this passage that it reminds Israel and us is that God's manifest presence is the greatest blessing. So before we go on to look at more specific blessings, I want us to remember this, that his presence is the greatest blessing. So he says in verse 3, I will return to Zion and I will dwell with Jerusalem. It's the fulfillment of what's happened all the way through Scripture in the beginning. God is present. And when God is present, he likes to have a place to fill. 
And so in his presence, he creates the world to fill and inhabit this place. And within this world, he builds this garden. And in this garden that he cultivates, he puts Adam and Eve. Why? To walk with him in the garden, to fulfill his command, to go through the earth and subdue it, to, uh, to have dominion over it, to rule and to cultivate it, God's presence with his people. And all through scripture, we see this pattern as God calls Abraham to himself. I'm going to be yours. You're going to be mine and I'm going to build a nation through you and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Follow me to a special place and my presence is going to reside in this place. And then you see the tabernacle becomes this place as Moses is leading people through the wilderness, this meeting place where God would inhabit and his people would encounter him, pointing ahead to the temple that would be built. And in this temple, God's, God's presence, his Shekinah glory would rest over the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies and his presence would be with his people and they would encounter change and transformation and blessing as they gathered around his presence and as the story goes they disobey the covenant they they rebel against God they chase after false gods and God's presence leaves and it leaves the people and 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 there's this vision that that the prophets have of the of the 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 cloud lifting up off the temple and moving away and the heartbreak of the people that God's presence was leaving so here we are God is reminding them of the promise that he's made the most important thing I am going to return and I am going to be present with you and this presence is the thing that marks the difference this thing this presence is what's most important and you know sin today is so easy to forget that truth uh, and we had some good conversations about this in pre-service prayer. Um, if you're part of this church and you're free at 9 a.m., we gather at 9 to pray and intercede for a church in a city, you're welcome. But as we were praying this morning, this is one of the things that was coming up, how easy it is to forget that God's presence is the greatest blessing. So we start looking to comfort and peace. We look for unity. We pray for financial blessing, for healing, for forgiveness, for transformation. And we forget that those things are the fruit of his presence, not the thing that we should be chasing instead of his presence. His presence is the greatest blessing. As he's given this exhortation to Israel, he's given them confirmation. You will complete this work. My presence will return to your midst. And and we know what's happening as they're rebuilding. They're starting to get comfortable. They're returning to the land. They're starting uh, to, to... slip back into old habits with, with dishonest weights as they're, they're selling in the marketplace. They're starting to use, uh, swear falsely and lie to one another and deceive and, and the brokenness of man is in full swing. For Israel returning to the land, it's so easy to slip into sin or as they're looking at the temple being built, as they're looking at God's presence returning, as they're looking at the blessings that are coming to start focusing on them. Look at us, we built the temple, we're amazing. Look at us, we're back in the land, we're amazing and forget that God's presence is the source of all the blessings that they're experiencing. So as we look at the other blessings to come, there are things that we'll hear that we long for. There are blessings we're craving in our own lives. There are blessings we're craving for our church, for our city, for countries around the world. Let's not lose sight as we listen to the blessings that this passage unfolds. Let's let's not allow our hearts to chase the blessings rather than the presence of the one who wants to give it.
The rest of the passage really gives us six, you could call them fruit of his presence, you could call them evidences of his presence that when God is here and our hearts are turned towards him, we see. And so my question would be, as we look at what God is doing here right now, how many of these are we seeing? If we're seeing them, it's evidence that God's presence is with us. If, if we're not seeing them, it's evidence that his, God, that his presence has departed. So let's look at the first one. When we're attentive to God's presence, there is an increase in truth and holiness. Verse 3 again, I'll return to Zion, I'll dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. In Hebrew, the word that we use for faithful, the word faithful and true, they're, they're tied together. So this, this word here, you could translate this the faithful city. Some translations that you're looking at will say the city of truth. Jerusalem will be called the faithful city or or Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. What does that mean? They're continuing in the truth. They're faithful to the truth that God has revealed. And this mountain where God has made his presence known is going to be called this holy mountain. So holiness and truth are going to be the center of life for these people. You know what this is like as you start to encounter the presence of God, as God moves in a place like this, as he grabs hold of your heart you start to crave truth. You start to be more aware of the things that you say. And many of you in this season, as God is doing something new and you are more aware of the words coming out of your mouth and the damage they are. And many of you are beginning to be attentive that my words were perhaps careless and I may have hurt someone. In this place, we start to hunger for his word. We want more truth. God is here. Help me understand you. Help me learn what you want for me. Uh, holiness we begin to set things apart you take like a crazy closet and you set it apart as a prayer room and what happens when people walk in that room to encounter the presence of God what happens people start scribbling scriptures all over the walls people are opening bibles and coloring and highlighting people are hearing the direct revelation of God and they're drawing it out and sticking it on the walls for us to see When God's presence is here, we start to crave and we start to change. And some people like Lupe are crazy enough and and Mike and Kim and others and Angie to get up in the middle of the night when everyone else is sleeping, their alarm goes off at two, three, four in the morning, they're making their way in here. Mark Wager driving all the way from St. John's for a 5 a.m. prayer slot. We get crazy when God's presence is moving. We're, we, we hunger for truth. We pursue holiness. Are we seeing it here? If the presence of God was found in its fullness in the person of Jesus, is it any wonder that he lived on the earth full of truth and living in perfect holiness? So as God's presence is here, as Christ is formed in us, as this increases in us, this is not the increase of abstract concepts, truth and holiness. This is the increase of the person and presence of the triune God living itself inside of us and bursting out of our lives. This theme of truth gets threaded through chapter 8. He brings it up three different times. Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, the city of truth. A few verses later, these are the things you're going to do. Speak truth to each other. Render true and sound judgments in your courts. A little bit later, therefore love 
truth and peace threaded through this passage, the pursuit of truth. We are a church founded on the truth. We are committed to knowing God's word in all of its fullness, both what he's written down and what he wants to say to us today, to steeping in it and allowing it to shape us and transform who we are and how we operate in the world. God's presence is always marked by an increase of truth and holiness. That's number one. Number two, the second evidence. I love this one. I love them all. I'm going to say this for all of them. So just forgive me. I'll I'll get out of the way. Second evidence of God's presence is an increase in life. And it happens across generations. And it comes with freedom and peace and safety and security. And I think we read verses like this and we don't always grasp the full implications of what it's saying. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of the age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. What's happening? The most vulnerable ends of society are now free and protected in God's place. You've got this image of these elderly people full of wisdom, full of life experience. Uh, More so when you think about the Jewish, the years that they spent growing in Torah, meditating and memorizing scripture, practicing the, the prayers of history. These people who have lived their full life in pursuit of God are here free to sit in the city streets to offer their wisdom to the people that are passing by. I think implied in here is that the young are out there working hard and they're providing for the community around them so that the elderly are not having to work till they're 90 years old to provide a way forward because the young are honoring the, the, the people of age. And it's so easy when we think of the language of scripture, we, we, we hear honor your father and mother. We hear honor uh, the elders in your community. And we think, well, that means say nice things about them. Biblically, the word honor is to provide for them. It's to bless them. There's financial provision in honoring your father and mother. There's financial provision in honoring your elders. And then on the other end, you've got these young kids. There's life. The young men didn't all die in battle. They've not been warring constantly with their enemies. They've not been exiled. The families are here. They're growing up together. Kids are being born. There's life in the city the young free and playing without concern. What a beautiful image of God's desire for his people, Israel. What a beautiful image that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. What a beautiful image we're invited into as the church. And what a beautiful image that we're looking forward to in the new heaven and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, where young and old will play together in freedom in the presence of Jesus. And we're seeing this here, right? We're seeing the young and the old. We're back to a place where we love it. The young people are running around going crazy. We had a wedding here on Friday night and there were kids here, mine were some of them, who are so comfortable in this church that it was hard to remind them that during a wedding, you have to sit quietly and pay attention. You can't just run. This is not your playground this evening. Uh, we're seeing it. We're seeing Old, older people in our church, your faith is re- reviving and renewing. Fresh passion is poured out and young and old coming together the way God intends it to be. What a beautiful image for God's people. The third evidence of God's presence 
It's him graciously allowing us to experience the fruits of our labor. These revelations come, and and you'll notice in this section from 8 to 13, what we call theologically, I've mentioned this before, inclusio, where there are two statements that are the same that bookend the content in between. So this passage begins with the exhortation, let your hands be strong, and ends with let your hands be strong. So there's a command to God's people at the time of Zechariah, work hard to build the temple. This is not my presence descends and the temple builds itself. This is my temple is going to be there, but you have work. My presence will be there, but you have work to do. But then all the way through this section, remember that any fruit that you experience is my doing and not yours. I'm not going to deal with the remnant as I did in the past. What's going to happen? The seed's going to grow well. You can't force the seed to grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. You can't make the grapes come. The ground will produce crops. The heavens will drop their dew. And I will give this to you as an inheritance. You may have been a curse among the nations. I'm going to save you so that you can be a blessing. So the promise is... Do the work that I'm calling you to do and know that as you let your hands be strong, as you labor the way I'm instructing you, I will ensure that fruit comes. I will ensure that blessing falls because it's what he does and it's who he is. So in a season like this, we know there's work that we are called to do. We don't just pray for God's presence and then sit back and let it happen. We don't sit back and go, man, God is moving here and so our work is done. The job is now, how do we continue the labor that he's called us to? What did they do when the temple was finished? Was it like job over? God's here, we're his people again, end of story? No, they had a society to live in. They had communities to build. They had generations to raise in the way of Yahweh. So there's more for us to do. But how seductively the enemy of our soul likes to think that we are the ones that bear the fruit, Right? Oh, I, Scotty, I'm such an amazing pastor because look at what has happened here. It is all my doing. (laughs) You know that's not true, right? (laughs) Oh, I am an amazing pastor, but no. (laughs) No, it's so easy to go, I'm putting in so much work. I was in the prayer room. That's why we're seeing the stuff happen that's happening. I was reaching out to people. I am giving more. I am the one that's making this all happen on the earth. It's not the way it is. We put our hand to labor. We put our knees to the ground in prayer and we trust that the God that we worship will move in our midst, that his presence will change us. And as we walk out of this place, we carry his presence into the world. So that people all across to the ends of the earth can know his presence and experience what he wants to offer us. The fourth evidence that we see in this passage is a sensitivity to untruth and injustice. You see it in these exhortations. This is what you're to do. Speak the truth to each other. Why would he have to say that? Why do we have to look at our kids and say, tell me the truth? (laughs) It's not because they were telling the truth. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Operate according to God's standards, not yours. Don't bend the rules. Don't bend the truth. Don't sympathize with the rich over the poor. 
Don't choose your favorites and oppress others. True and sound judgment. This is justice in the world. Stop plotting evil against one another. I've said this many times. You may not have killed someone. You may have But Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart toward one another, it's as if you've killed them. If you have lust in your heart, it's as if you've committed adultery. And so there's no one in this room that is exempt from that. We all plot evil. We all fantasize about things that we shouldn't. We all have those moments. Man, I wish someone would just take them out. You know this moment the most, okay? This is when you see it the most. When someone is pulling up, but you're driving down the freeway, you're overtaking someone in the fast lane and someone comes up really fast behind you and they're riding really close to your bumper and eventually you pull in and they go flying past you and you go, hope they get a ticket. (laughs) You know it. You know it. We're plotting evil. (laughs) What does God say? I hate this. God's heart is that we would be toward one another, that our eyes would be fixed on him. The Lord, Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving all kinds of wickedness and sin to the third and fourth generation. That's who we're supposed to have our eyes fixed on. And as we love God, he increases our capacity to love people and we walk in the world carrying his justice and mercy shaping how we interact with others so that we stand up for truth. We protect people where injustice is done against them. We advocate for people who have no voice. Again, we clean up our language. We watch what we say. We're more careful that when someone posts something on Facebook and we see it and we're like, that's a powerful truth, that we go research the fact before we click forward. We become more considerate of others. We begin to be more aware of our exaggerations and our deceptions and our hypocrisy. We advocate accurately that truth would prevail in every environment, whether in the church or out of it. How are we doing? Are you growing in sensitivity toward the untruth we see around us and the injustices that surround? The fifth one. The fifth evidence is a renewal in their religious practices. So this is verse 19. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and ten months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Do you remember what happened in the last chapter? Do you remember how it started? The permission for pastors to give long answers to short questions. Israel comes to Zechariah, should we keep fasting and mourning like we have done all these so many years? We're done with the fasting in the morning, we want a party. They were stuck in duty instead of delight. And what happens? What does God say? Not just the fasts of the, the, the not just the fast in the fifth, fifth month that you've done so many years, but the ones that you're doing in the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth, they're going to become occasions of joy. No longer is religion going to be rote and dutiful, but you're going to find delight in these things. You're going to be glad and you're going to celebrate because in this process, you're connecting with the God who created you. What are these fasts? The fourth month was the fast they did because Babylon breached the walls of Jerusalem. In the fifth month, which happened in midsummer, Solomon's temple was burned to the ground. 
In the seventh month, Gedaliah, who was the governor of Jerusalem, appointed by Babylon, was assass- appointed by Assyria, was assassinated by Babylon. And then the tenth month, in the winter, the siege of Jerusalem began by Nebuchadnezzar, and that was the end as the people were exiled and carried off into captivity. So these were moments that reflected on the brokenness of their society, grieving and mourning the loss of the dream and the vision that they'd carried being turned into joy. I'll turn your sorrow into joy is the message that he gives us. We get to look back on what has happened in our lives. We get to look at what you're experiencing right now. You get to look back at the history of this church, the moments of mourning and grieving and sorrow that you've experienced can become moments of joy and gladness in the presence of God. Number six, the last and final evidence is that these people were sought out for spiritual influence and impact. Read these words. Remember, put yourself in the context that the people of Israel are not in, that they're just back in the land. They've started rebuilding the temple. They've not been successful. They've had this 15 to 20 year gap where they're failing. And God is promising that this work is going to be completed. What's the promise that he gives them? Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities are going to come. They're going to go and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. Many people and powerful nations are going to come and seek the Lord and entreat him. In those days, people from all languages and nations are going to grab the hem of the robe of a Jew and say, we want to come with you because we've heard that God's presence is with you. It's a promise that the nations round about, the surrounding peoples would see the, the evidence of God's presence in their midst, the transformation of them, the blessing that comes, the impact. And they'll come wanting the wisdom, like the Queen of Sheba coming looking for the wisdom of Solomon. Neighbors and nations take note of God's presence when it's there and they come knocking on your door. Our people knocking on our door looking for the spiritual wisdom and influence that we carry? Are they coming knocking on our door because they sense God's presence? Are they knocking on your door? Are people coming from your neighborhood and from your past friends from school, friends from work, are they knocking on your door and saying, I see the presence of God in your life. I want your wisdom. If the answer is no, we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. There's a promise that where God is pressed on him, where we allow his transforming presence in us, people will come seeking us out. We're starting to see some of this, and it's exciting, but there's more to come. If you have your Bible open and you're looking at this, you'll notice I skipped over a verse in the middle. Verse 6 has this weird, ambiguous statement from the Lord. Here's what God says in the middle. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me? I think this can be taken one of two ways. One, it speaks of his power. You're going to look at these things and think it's marvelous, but this is like little pinky stuff for me. This is easy. These things that I'm promising, I wonder if it's actually meant in a different way and speaks the truth 
and sadness he feels over the expectations he had for Israel, the remnant. Let me think about you here. There's people in this room who have been in this church a long time. You're the remnant of the history of this church. And we have a moment like this where God is stirring and his presence is moving and there's new life. And we go, this is amazing. And God's going, this is what I had for you all along. Where would our church be if we'd walked in this sooner? Where would this church be if we'd given ourselves more fully to him earlier? Look, God is essentially saying, look at what you lost out on by walking in hard-heartness, Israel. These blessings that you're rejoicing in were the things I had for you all this time, and you've walked away from them. Now you're rejoicing that you're seeing them. This has always been my heart for you. We don't serve a big, mean God who's ready to smite us down and punish us for all the things that we do wrong. We serve a God who wants to bless us. He wants us to have fullness of life. He wants to satisfy our brokenness. He wants to take the things we're most ashamed of and redeem them. This is the God that we serve. But how often we miss out on what he has for us because we walk in hard-heartedness rather than give our lives fully to him. So what did we miss out on all these years? What have you missed out on all these years? And think of this question or this concern. If we forget that it's about his presence, if we forget to seek it and invite it and align ourselves with it, how easy it will be to slip back into stagnation. So what's the work that we've got to set our hands to? We've got to commit ourselves to chase him, to die to self, and to align ourselves to his will so that he can do what he wants us to do. I also skipped over another verse if you were looking in your Bible. It's right at the start. The whole passage started with a reminder to the people of Israel that God is a jealous God. He is jealous for Israel. He is jealous for us. God is jealous for you. He said, I'm very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy for her. It literally says, I have jealous jealousy. This is what he says, I will return and I'll dwell in Jerusalem and then I'm going to bring Israel back to dwell with me in this place. His desire is always that we would seek him wholeheartedly. God knows that we cannot experience the fullness that he has for us if anything else stands in the way. So he is jealous for us. He fights and opposes anything in our life that stands in the way of him, not because he needs the worship, He didn't need it, but because he knows what it robs us of. God has an abundance of blessing to give to the world. It was offered through Israel. It was fulfilled in Jesus. It is offered to the church. It is offered to our church. God has an abundance of blessing to give us if we will seek and ask and receive. So what's the work we're called to do? 
We've got to continue the hard work of shedding all the things that stand in the way of him. We've got to welcome his presence back into our midst. Again, pre-service prayer. God is always everywhere. Like there's nowhere where he isn't, but we spend most of our life forgetting that his presence is with us. We want to welcome his presence wherever we go. And then we've got to shed the brokenness that stands in the way and give ourselves fully to the work that he is calling us to do. The promise was given to Israel. They rejected the covenant. They were exiled from the land. They were brought back into the land. They killed their Messiah. But the promise still stands. If they return to him, he will do work in them and use them to bless the world. The promise is extended to us, Gentiles. We're grafted into the vine as an act of grace through the work of Jesus. We're grafted in so that now all of these blessings are available to us. And so as we sit here as a church, all of these blessings are for us. Not a single person walked into this room by accident. If you're sitting in this room, all of these blessings are for you. God wants to bless you and rescue you and redeem you. And he's fighting jealously for you. Will you receive it? Let me pray. Hmm. God, it's exciting to read a passage like this and see the blessings laid out that you offer to your people. You promise us your presence. And it's not just a presence that's out there, but through Jesus, your presence now dwells inside of us so that we walk on this earth as living temples who bear your presence into every environment that we walk into. And so we can walk into the darkest places in our city and take your presence there and make it manifest in a different way. We can experience your presence and the greatest brokenness in our life and experience the transformative power as you take it and make us more like Jesus and use the brokenness to lead other people to you. God, you can look at a place like Hillsborough and you can transform this city as we fix our eyes on you, get on our knees and partner with you in the work that you want to do. So thank you that you are jealous for us. Thank you that you are pursuing us. Help us to take hold of what you promise wholeheartedly so that Jesus receives all the glory. If you're here and you need some prayer, if there's things on your heart today, um, if you're wrestling with anything, worried about anything, need healing, uh, there'll be a few people at the front. Just make your way forward. We'd love to pray for you while we worship.